Our general subject is living in the inward parts of Christ Jesus for the church life and for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, there is no way that we can adequately summarize the meeting this morning. I believe the Lord was with us and to show us, especially through Paul's person and ministry, that the Lord wants us not only to abide in him, but to live in his inward parts with all of their functions, including his thoughts, his feeling, <clears throat> his desire, his intention, his longing, whatever that is. And likewise, the Lord longs to live in our inward parts, making his home in our hearts, rearranging our inner being in a most delightful way so that he and we are truly one. Amen. And I appreciated <clears throat> the prayers of the last several minutes that the Lord in particular is a church-loving Christ. There is no doubt, as Paul unveils in Galatians 2.20, that Christ loves each one of us personally and gave himself for us. But his love for the church is immeasurable. I personally believe that when Hebrews 12 speaks of the Lord being on the cross, despising the shame, and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I don't see how that the joy set before him could be anything other than the church for which he was then giving himself, laying down his life, redeeming her, releasing the life element from within him with which she would be produced and built up. So we need to go on from the foundational message this morning on allowing, on living in the inward parts of Christ Jesus and allowing Christ to live in our inward parts to see that this is not merely a matter of our personal life with the Lord, although it is has this aspect forever. God's goal always remains the corporate expression of himself. The function of the church is to express Christ. This is the function. The function of the church as the body of Christ is to be the organism through which he moves to fulfill God's purpose. The function of the church as the bride of Christ is to bring satisfaction and rest to the Lord in love. 
What we mean by building and the significance of the word building is the corporate expression of God. That is building. If we are to be genuine persons with truth in our inward parts and knowing the, the reality that is in Jesus, we need to realize that we can only express what we are. So there needs to be a content in our inner being, actually a person, a wonderful person <clears throat> living in us, filling us, saturating us, and we express him. And I would add, we don't use the word express lightly because it involves a particular part of our tripartite being, which is really the object of the Lord's organic salvation. Our spirit is the organ for contacting God, receiving God, and containing God. The soul is the organ of expression. If the Lord cannot gain our soul, sanctifying it, renewing it, transforming it, then we will continue to express the self through the soul life, saturating the soul. But allowing the Lord to gain our inward parts, of course, includes his transforming our soul so that the soul functions to express the Christ who is in the depths of our being and in our spirit. When this expression is lived out in the genuine oneness of the body, that is the corporate expression of the triune God. That is glory. This is God's goal. Now, this particular matter of living in the inward parts of Christ Jesus for the church life is revealed in particular in the little book of Philemon. We need to see, this is actually necessary, the connection between Philemon, the book, and Colossians. Philemon was a brother, probably a leading brother, of the church in Colossae. It is likely that the church met in his house. So when Paul wrote to the Colossians, that includes Philemon and his household. When Paul wrote to Philemon, the brother, he is addressing a vital member of the church in Colossae. And we'll see shortly a very precious connection between these two books. But first, I would like to read the 25 verses of the one-chapter book of Philemon. If you want to follow, that's fine. If you just want to listen, that's fine. I look to the Lord that we could touch the spirit in this book and Paul's feeling in this short epistle. 
Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, the brother, to Philemon, our beloved and fellow worker, and to Aphia, the sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church, which is in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, hearing of your love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and to all the saints, that the fellowship of your faith may become effective in the full knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ. For I had much joy and encouragement over your love, because the inward parts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have much boldness in Christ to charge you what is fitting, because of love I rather entreat, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I entreat you concerning my child, whom I have begotten in my bonds, Onesimus, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. Him I have sent back to you, him that is my very heart, whom I intended to keep with myself, that on your behalf he might minister to me in the bonds of the gospel. But without your mind, I did not want to do anything, that your goodness would not be as of necessity, but voluntary. For perhaps for this reason, he was separated from you for but an hour, that you might fully have him forever, no longer as a slave, but above a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you hold me as a partner, receive him as myself. And if he has wronged you in anything or owes anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, have written with my own hand, I will repay, not to say to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, may I have profit from you in the Lord. Refresh my inward parts in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I have written to you, knowing that you will do even beyond the things that I say. And at the same time also, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Some have criticized Paul for not attacking the evil social system in Roman society of slavery. But he was not a reformer. He was not a revolutionary. Actually, he was doing something much more radical, as we will see. So the fact is Philemon owned Onesimus as a slave. And one day, Onesimus ran away probably after pilfering certain things implied by the verse, if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. And how he got from Colossae to Rome and found Paul in prison, that awaits the wedding feast to hear that testimony. But Paul brought him to the Lord. He begot him as a spiritual child, as a son in prison. And he longed that to retain Philemon with him, that he could minister to him in his affliction, but he knew he had to send <clears throat> Philemon back, and Philemon knew he had to go back. And three times in this epistle, Paul uses the Greek expression translated inward parts, but in verse 12, we translate it, my very heart, but it's the same word. You see how Paul's inner being is fully involved in this aspect of the church life. And just consider, this is an apostle with delegated authority from God. He tells Philemon, I have the standing to charge you. I will, not re I will not charge you to do anything. I appeal to you. I'd like you to act voluntarily. Receive Onesimus as myself. Does he owe you anything? Charge that to my account. I will repay. I don't... So when we see here, it's a very lovely scene a picture of the church life in Colossae where someone like Philemon, Paul can say, the inward parts of the saints are refreshed through you, brother. Okay, not by you, but through you. This means something is passing through our being that is the refreshing element. And notice, I read verse 7 again, For I had much joy and encouragement over your love, because the inward parts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. What a testimony that he spent some time with Philemon, who's not doing anything spectacular. You walk away, refreshed in your inward parts. You feel, I've got hope. 
I'm, I'm vitalized. I want to give myself to the Lord again. I love him more. What kind of ministry of life is this? Then lest we think that the apostles are super people that go about casting out demons, raising people from the dead, healing the sick, teaching the truth, raising up churches, perfecting saints, traveling all over the Mediterranean world. They're indomitable. They're unconquerable. No, they are God-men like the rest of us. And in verse 20, this apostle says, Refresh my inward parts in Christ. That's an admission. And that's also an indicator that your being is really open to the refreshing element that is in the saints. We'll come back to this verse. And the wording is exact. Refresh my inward parts in Christ. All of this is in Christ. Everyone is in the organic union. We're in the mingled spirit. And on the one hand, the saints' inward parts are refreshed through a brother, through whose inward parts the divine life can flow. On the other hand, someone like Paul will admit, I need to be refreshed. I find myself wondering, what would have refreshed Paul's inward parts? Uh... Methinks that it would be something like this. And the communication was slow, but suppose they could text. Philemon would say, Paul, I receive your child Onesimus as my own brother in the Lord, not as a slave. Don't worry. He doesn't owe me anything. You don't owe me anything. I just rejoice that we're in the one new man together. I believe Paul would be so refreshed. Now one other thing before we go through the outline and that is to see an intrinsic connection between Colossians and Philemon. And uh, well I just would like to well, honestly, just just have a little a little fun here to tell you something. Okay, this is so deep. You got to ready yourself for this. Okay, I need to give you time to gird up the loins of your mind <clears throat> because you're going to hear something I don't think you ever heard before, and that is. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Okay, are you ready? Follows verse 11. Okay, okay. okay I'll give you time to absorb that. <laughs> now, why am I dramatizing this and emphasizing this? Well, look what we have in... Uh, Verse 10, you have put on the new man, which is being renewed unto full knowledge according to the image of him who created him. 
where there cannot be Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. He had just said, put on the new man by putting on Christ. And in this new man, all distinctions, all divisive elements based upon class, race, nationality, educational level, whatever, they're all abolished. And Christ is all and in all. And immediately after Paul says this, what does he say? Put on therefore as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, inward parts. The way this new man becomes a reality, the way in which we actually have a corporate Christ, where Christ is all and in all, there's, and where there is no higher or lower, no distinctions, not even between master and slave, no distinctions, but Christ is all and in all. This is realized, according to verse 12, when we put on the following, put on therefore as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, inward parts then we have a description of what these inward parts include compassion kindness lowliness meekness long-suffering bearing one another and forgiving one another if anyone should have a complaint against anyone, even as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which is the uniting bond of perfectness. And let the peace of Christ arbitrate in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Here is the connection. And it was a new day for me when I saw this obvious matter. Verse 12 follows verse 11. And it's the way you live out verse 11. You put on inward parts. That is, they become your practical expression in the church life. And the first item is compassion. Then kindness, lowliness, etc. This word about inward parts, spoken to the church in Colossae, links the epistle to the Colossians, to Philemon, where you see saints living in the inward parts of Christ Jesus. They have put on these inward parts. They receive one another here. They love one another here. They care for one another here. 
What a lovely church life lived in the inward parts of Christ Jesus. So now our seeking of the Lord and our opening to the Lord concerning living in the inward parts of Christ Jesus and allowing him to live in our inward parts, it needs to be uplifted so we see it doesn't stop with us. It doesn't stop with us being this certain kind of person that perhaps others would appreciate. We're not here for that. The goal of this is the church life. That is a unique entity on the earth. Natural human beings cannot live like this. It's impossible to put together every possible variety of race, nationality, ethnic group, language, social class, temperament, educational level, and there to have any semblance of peace. The United Nations demonstrates this repeatedly. But here you have a new man, a corporate new man, being lived out in the church life. And no one is excluded. No one is marginalized. There are no divisive factors. There is no outward radical social change. But the intrinsic change is revolutionary to the uttermost. Where all the alienating factors are gone. Everyone is living in the inward parts of Christ Jesus. And what an endearing church life this is, exhibited by Paul. In verse 1, he talked about a beloved co-worker. Brothers, when was the last time you sent a text or an email addressed to beloved brother? Don't you feel even uneasy now about using that expression? Beloved brother. It doesn't sound mannish enough. Well, I'm not advocating a use of a certain vocabulary. But we should have the feeling the saints are beloved to us. All the saints. All the saints. Just to have this feeling is an indicator where Paul is. When he says Philemon is my heart, he is my inward parts, this shows the deep connection in the divine life. His attitude toward Philemon, his humility in requesting refreshment, it's quite dear. In years past, <clears throat> my concept of cherishing was very limited and too, quote, spiritual. And I thought, you don't cherish people by doing anything like something physical and practical. Somehow you cherish them by transmitting some kind of inexplicable spiritual energy and then they feel all cozy and warm. But I had to learn by experience, <clears throat> and now, in giving this example, I'm not asking for anything, okay? But a, <clears throat> a brother in the training, in collusion with his wife, approached me after a meeting with some Kalua 
cream cheese pie from Marie Callender's. And somehow he learned that in my view, Kahlua cream cheese pie is the mother of all pies. <laughs> Just as the mocha almond fudge ice cream is the mother of all ice cream. And just the way he did it, I was cherished. The point is, it's not all a kind of lofty spirituality. It's in the practical care we have for one another and the spirit in which it is conveyed. And the inward parts are involved, but we're not making a project of this. We're not saying after the meeting, Whose inward parts will I refresh? I will hunt somebody down, whether you're scared of me or not, because I came from California to refresh your inward parts, and I'm going to refresh them no matter what. That's terrible. That's turning the thing into a work, into a project. We're not aware this is going on. We're simply living in the Lord, and the Lord is living in us then it's spontaneous. And I'd like to emphasize again, it's impartial. It's inclusive. Paul said, I long after you all in the inward parts. Okay, now let's look through the outline, and certain points will be quite impressive, I believe. One, the proper church life is a life in the organic union with Christ. See, refresh my inward parts in Christ. The organic union is the base. So if we're in the self for a period of time, during that period of time, we're not in this kind of church life. We're still in the church life objectively. We need to be in the mingled spirit, thereby in the organic union. The emphasis on the organic union is an outstanding characteristic of Paul's writings. Faith in Christ denotes an organic union through believing. Through the organic union with Christ, we share whatever Christ is and has. So this is the key. How his inward parts are transmitted to us and we live in his inward parts. It's through the organic union that there is this impartation. We are one body in Christ, having an organic union with him. This union makes us one with Christ and with all the other members of his body. This is a crucial principle. In a very real sense, we're not directly one with anybody. We are all in the organic union with Christ, directly one with him. In this organic union, we are one with everyone who is also in this organic union. Picture the branches in the vine. If you are abiding in the vine, living in the organic union with the vine, enjoying the flow of life in the vine with its love, peace, and joy, you are spontaneously one with all the other branches. When you are detached experientially from the vine, you're not one with anyone beginning with yourself. 
You yourself are a contradiction. You're not even in harmony with yourself. How are you going to be in harmony with anybody else? So we can't overlook this foundational matter of the organic union. Now, the second point is much more crucial than it appears. The genuine church life is in faith and love. <clears throat> and I'd like to introduce this section in the following way. The goal of the Lord's recovery <clears throat> is the building up of the body of Christ as the preparation of the bride of Christ. The building up of the body equals the preparation of the bride. For whom the Lord is coming. When the bride is prepared in the local churches through the building up of the body of Christ, when the Lord considers this is adequate, then he will come back for the bride. And we sang about this, the church is thy beloved bride, thou in thy body seen. The bride has certain characteristics. I think I can mention four of them. And I want to emphasize one of them because it's directly related here and also directly related to the spiritual progress taking place in you, whether you know it or not. And sometimes it helps to understand what's going on. The bride must be mature. The Lord is not going to marry a child bride. She must match him in stature. Okay. <clears throat> the second, the bride is a corporate person. So there must be building to produce the corporate expression. Third, the bride has a wedding garment composed of righteousnesses. Not righteousness merely. Righteousnesses. This is what we call subjective righteousness. What is that? The Christ who lives in our spirit as the life-giving spirit then saturates our soul and we express him in concrete actions of serving, of loving, of all manner of things, all of which are righteousnesses. So this is the expression of Christ through the soul. The wedding garment is Christ as a subjective righteousness lived out and expressed through the soul. Now, the other characteristic related to the bride's maturity is the full development of her faith and love, uh, symbolized by the breastplate of faith and love. And now, all of us, by the sheer act of regeneration, have the element of the divine love within us. And we have a degree of the believing ability infused into us. 
But we need to realize that personally and corporately, we are in a process of the development and maturation of our faith and love. Regarding faith, the overcomers who are living, living until they're raptured, they're not the martyred overcomers, they're living, they, their faith will be developed in a very particular way, illustrated in Luke 18. There the Lord tells the parable of a widow who is persecuted by an adversary. He will not stop. So the widow appeals to the judge, her only recourse, and he is unrighteous. He couldn't care. He doesn't care about her. He won't answer her. But she will not stop appealing to him. So finally, he says, I admit, I'm a crooked judge. I don't care about widows being persecuted by adversaries. But she's going to wear me out. So I better do something for her just to get her to stop. Then the Lord says, you can read this later. Hear what the unjust judge says. Then he immediately speaks of God. Will not God avenge his elect who cry to him day and night? So here's the situation. And maybe this won't be a comfort to you who are in this situation, but it might bring understanding. This is not elementary. But the Lord needs... Okay, before I go on. Then the Lord says to end this parable, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Okay, what kind of faith? Okay, this kind. You are in a situation. It is by far... It's far from easy. Your only recourse is to call out to the Lord and he is silent. As if he doesn't, he's not there. And to, apparently, he's not doing anything. It goes on and on. I can't say too much. As I stand here, I'm in an ongoing situation like this for 17 years plus. That's all I can do is call out to the Lord. And he's been silent for 17 plus years. And there's no sign of his doing anything. Well then, when you're in this situation, you have to admit, you're not some superhero. You ask a basic question like, um, is there God? And deep within, something rises up within you and you can declare in the presence of the enemy. Even though he is silent, even if he does nothing for me, he is my God, he is faithful, 
and righteous and loving and true. And I will praise him and I will vindicate him to the whole universe. There needs to be this kind of faith. And some saints in varying degrees and varying lengths will be put into situations where the Lord withdraws all the nice, cozy, reassuring feelings and there's silence and he seems to be invisible. And you wonder, what's the difference between a silent, invisible, inactive God and no God? But deep within you say, God is. Enemy, shut your mouth. He is my God now and forever. Well, the faith in the organic union needs to develop. So when the saints who will be the overcomers, when their faith is at this level, nothing can shake them. Nothing can defeat them. They're not offended by what God does and they're not offended by what God doesn't do. But the development of faith must be matched by the parallel development of love. And that you see in Song of Songs. So we don't always stay at the let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth stage. And why not, we're not always at the stage where we're at his banqueting table and our spike nard is giving forth a fragrance. Our love is also developing. And the beloved, the one we love, knows this and he is developing this. And he has a way to encourage us. And because he loves us, he can say anything to us and we're not bothered. So he says, oh, my love, you're a horse. <laughs> and you don't go crying to mama, he called me a horse. You just admit, I, I am strong. Yet he called me his love. And my love is natural. Okay. Then a little bit later, he says, your eyes are like doves. Then he calls her a lily. What a lovely name for a sister, Lily. My wife's name is Susan. I think Susan means Lily. She pointed that out to me at the very beginning. I don't know why, but she did. <laughs> so I got the point. Then eventually the love grows until she becomes the reproduction of Solomon. So in this church life, in the inward parts of Christ Jesus, please realize that there's not simply a general development in you. The faith and love in particular, in the midst of all kinds of situations, will develop together. They have to be balanced. And one sign of the bride's readiness is that her faith and her love are developed. And now her love is, is pure. Her love is of 1 John 4.19 love, a because love. That verse says we love because he first loved us. So as we're living in the organic union, in the church life, living in the inward parts of Christ Jesus, 
for the church life, we will find our love increasing. You will love the Lord. You will love all the believers. Then you will love human beings. All kinds of human beings. And then according to the Lord's requirement, you will love your enemies. This is to be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. And we are undergoing this. And this is the maturation of faith portrayed in Second Peter 1. From the seed of faith to brotherly love, then love, agape. That is the indicator. This kind of love is always the indicator. So recall when we read those verses, did I point out they follow verse 11? They follow verse 11. Above all this, above all these, put on love, which is the uniting bond of perfectness. So now I read this section. Through faith we receive the Lord, and through love we enjoy the Lord whom we have received. So when love develops, joy increases. Because love enables us to enjoy what we receive by faith. Faith and love are the reality and expression of the triune God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit in whom we believe and whom we worship and serve. Then we have a further definition. Faith is for appreciating, substantiating, and receiving the unlimited triune God. So substantiating, this widow, she is substantiating. Apparently, God is not doing anything. Apparently, he, he doesn't care. But by my faith, I will substantiate him and declare he is. And I know the time is coming. He will manifest himself. And he will vindicate his elect. Love is for experiencing, enjoying, and living out the immeasurably rich triune God. So when you say next time, Lord Jesus, I love you, you're also saying, Lord Jesus, I enjoy you. I enjoy you. So now this can bring us to the central matter, point three. In Paul's epistle to the Philemon, to Philemon, we have a picture of the church life lived in the inward parts of Christ Jesus. The inward parts signify inward affection, tender-heartedness, and compassions. I'd like to read Philippians 2.1. And this is Paul's request. It's very touching. If there is therefore any encouragement in Christ, if any 
consolation of love. If any fellowship of spirit, if any tender-heartedness and compassions, make my joy full. Now, Paul was suffering here. Not from the imprisonment. Not from the chain. But from the friction in Philippi. And because he's living in the inward parts of Christ Jesus with their tenderness, he is suffering the discord, the different souls among the Philippians. Eventually, in chapter 4, it breaks out and he identifies the two sisters by name. I can picture the church meeting in a home. The brother comes with a letter from Paul. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. We like to hear this. <clears throat> and then he makes this abrupt turn. I beseech Euodia, sitting over there. I beseech Syntyche, sitting over there. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Then he asked for a brother. I would rather go to Patagonia and preach to penguins than to have to be the mediator between these two sisters. He said, is there any yoke fellow? Will you join with me in bringing these sisters together? So what will make Paul's joyful, he goes on to say, that you think the same thing, having the same love, joined in soul, thinking the one thing, doing nothing by way of selfish ambition, nor by way of vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, considering one another more excellent than yourselves, not regarding each his own virtues, but each the virtues of others also. He's appealing to the saints to live in the inward parts of Christ Jesus so that his inward parts would be consoled, encouraged. He asked for tenderheartedness and compassions because someone living in the body deeply is aware of all this. You're just aware of it. Because the Lord in whose inward parts you're living is aware of it. And the Lord who's aware of it is living in your inward parts. And you just can't sit there and be at peace knowing that below the surface there's all this discord going on. Some ambition, some vain glory. Then Paul asks us to do what apparently is impossible, considering one another more excellent than yourselves. I'd like to bear witness, nothing is easier than this when you're living in the inward parts of Christ Jesus. I look at my fellow workers, Brother Dick Taylor, in so many ways. He, 
He's more excellent than I. I can't do what he can do. I can't help you enjoy the Lord the way he does. That's why I told him, Brother Dick, if ever I'm in prison for the gospel, I want you as a cellmate. <laughs> help me enjoy the Lord there, okay? I didn't make him promise and sign a contract. And, and then I consider Benson and Brother Andrew Yu, Manoa Chen, Ed Marks. It's just so easy to be freed from the self and say, oh, I just treasure all these brothers. They're more excellent than I. But we don't have false humility either. We can also say, and I got something that you need. And they say, this is what he's appealing to. Then he says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Then he gives this tremendous revelation of Christ laying aside, emptying himself, humbling himself, being obedient unto death. All of this is to strengthen his appeal to live in Christ's inward parts. And um, I hope we all make it in the kingdom. I hope these two sisters are there. And I also hope that we can have a little meeting with the saints who were in Philippi I admit, I'm curious. How did it go, sisters, when you heard that letter read to you? What did you do? Did you get through? But if they're not there in the kingdom, then we can conclude, I guess they didn't make it, you know. So, Paul is not intending in Philippians 2 to give a theological teaching. He's presenting the Christ whose mind should be in you, so you have these kind of inward parts with affection, tender-heartedness, and compassions. I don't know, the young godmen here, what your view is of being a man. What do you think a real man is? But I'll tell you, real godmen are tender-hearted in the inward parts of Christ Jesus. Not in themselves. They're not lilies in themselves. They're men in themselves. Tenderheartedness, affection, compassions. Paul's inward affection and compassions went with Onesimus to Philemon. When he received Philemon, he is touching Paul's tenderheartedness, affection, and compassion. Then we have verse 20 quoted as point C. Brother, may I have profit from you in the Lord. Refresh my inward parts in Christ. In Philemon 20, Christ is unveiled as the sphere and element for the refreshing of the believer's inward parts. So we don't do this in ourselves. We dare not. We dare not touch one another's inner being in ourself. Even husband and wives who've been lived together for decades need to learn to do this. This is the most important person in your life. To refresh her inward parts in Christ. 
Two, the word refresh means soothe or cheer. How about that? Doesn't sound, that sound pleasant? Don't you ever need to be soothed and cheered inwardly? Since Philemon has refreshed the inward parts of the saints, seen in verse 7, Paul now asked him to do the same for him in the Lord. I appreciate the loneliness. This is loneliness. Certain times you can't break through in yourself. You just can't. But the presence of one vital person just refreshes you and helps you, your spirit to flow again. The prophet in the Lord that Paul speaks of refers to being refreshed in his inward parts in Christ Jesus. The refreshing of Paul's inward parts could not have been done in or by Philemon himself, but only in the Lord and in Christ. This is worth pointing out because with a good heart, we hear something, then we try to do it. Then it doesn't work out and we don't know what to do. So don't try to do anything. Just be in Christ, in the organic union. Learn to live in him. He will live in you. Then something will pass through you. The inward parts of the saints are refreshed through you. Through you. God is passing through you into someone. That passing through element is what refreshes others' inward parts. So Paul didn't just say, refresh my inward parts, as if Philemon could do this. Paul was very clear. All relationships, this is not an easy principle to learn. All relationships in the body of Christ and the church as the household of God are indirect. There are no direct relationships. The family relationship is ordained. The marriage relationship is ordained in the old creation. That is direct. But even if the marriage is to be divine and mystical, there needs to be the indirect relationship, which I'll now try to explain. A direct relationship is I, with my good heart and my soul, touch you directly trying to do something out of love for you. I'm in my natural life. It cannot benefit anything. We will either trouble others or we will psychologically bond with others in an exclusive way, which is injurious to the church. So you connect with others in the soul, others you repelled in the soul, and neither is healthy for the church. All relationships pass through Christ the head. They're all in Christ, in the mingled spirit. Then this is the way we relate to one another indirectly. And I've been learning this. I don't know how, how I've progressed. If I want to know, I'll ask my wife. You know, by the way, I'll just tell you this. I think you'll enjoy this. This goes back more than 30 years. 
I asked my wife one day sincerely, Susan, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do I live Christ with you? And inwardly, I'm guessing, probably in the middle range, five or so. She answered immediately, minus five. <clears throat> so, of course, my inward parts had a reaction. <laughs> so, from that experience, I learned two things, or one thing in two parts. Either I need to live Christ more, or I should stop asking her such questions. <laughs> But even in this relationship, we're, we're, we're fellow heirs of the grace of God. We're not only husband and wife. We're members of the body of Christ. Should I relate to everyone else through Christ, but not to her through Christ? Shouldn't it be divine and mystical, divinely human? So this is Paul's point. He's not asking Philemon to do something of himself, but to refresh his inward parts in Christ. Okay, little b, the prophet being refreshed in his inward parts that Paul sought from Philemon comes out of the Lord. So both Paul and Philemon are living in the Lord, in the Lord's inward parts, and something comes out from the Lord through Philemon to Paul and soothes him and refreshes him. A, uh, a dear serving sister just asked me informally a few, couple hours ago about this young person they're taking care of who lost her father at an early age in his 40s. When the cancer was diagnosed, it was stage four. And shortly after that, he's gone. And I asked if she is mad at the Lord. If she's offended at the Lord for doing this. How can you, what do you say to someone in that situation? If we have this view, we will realize her inward parts need to be soothed, need to be comforted, supplied. Our words won't work. We'll be like Job's friends. But if we can be one with the Lord, not try to do anything, and let something out from the Lord flow through us, this dear person will sense something soothing, supplying, restoring, then when she's alone, eventually she'll be able to pray again. She'll be able to say, Lord, I don't know why you took my daddy, but I still believe in you. I still love you. How sweet is this? Little C, it is only in Christ that we can be refreshed in our inward parts by our fellow believers. Actually, this means that we have to be in Christ to receive it in order to get the benefit of it. 
This is to experience and enjoy Christ as the sphere and element for the refreshing of the believer's inward parts. This is a brother who, who, who told me this on his own. This is one of our co-workers who is very useful in a certain way. And he had a wonderful marriage for quite a long time. And then something catastrophic happens and his wife passed. And of course, he's deeply grieving. And I saw him there in Building 4 on the LSM campus. I do believe I was one with the Lord. All I could do was walk up to him, put my hand on his shoulder, and look deeply into his eyes. That's all. And grieve with him. I couldn't say anything. No light, cheering words to say. But afterward, we were having fellowship, and he said, that meant so much to me. It was so good you didn't say anything. Well, okay, okay, this is not a technique now. You don't go around putting a hand on someone's <laughs> shoulder, looking them in the eye. doesn't mean you never say anything. We don't know what will happen. But we're all going to need this in various times in the stages of our human life. Okay, five, by living in the inward parts of Christ Jesus and by refreshing, having our inward parts refreshed by others in Christ and the believer's inward parts being refreshed through us in Christ, we may have a sweet and pleasant church life. How is it going to be sweet and pleasant if everyone's miserable in their inward parts? Are we going to come together, put on a happy face? But if this is going on, the church life will be sweet and pleasant. Just dwell on these two words, sweet. How about the church in Cambridge? Sweet. Church in Newton? Pleasant. Right? Church in Boston? Endearing. Refreshing. Pleasant. This is normal. I'm not a dreamer here in a utopian sense. These dear saints touched this. At least a little bit, they touched it. All kinds of things happen to us. We're not idealists. Then after the things happen, then what? Shall we be embittered and distrustful and wary and protected for the rest of our life? After the 1978 situation and a certain deep confidence that I had with someone was betrayed. It was just betrayed. I couldn't trust anyone. Then a brother, he's now with the Lord, Carol Althaus. Carl Althaus. He approached me after a meeting. And I don't know why he began to speak about this. He said, 
You've been hurt. You've been hurt in this situation. And through those words, my lost trust began to be restored. I realize I'm surrounded by all of these faithful brothers. I'm not going to hide myself from them. In the Lord, I'm going to trust myself to them. This is the mending ministry. It's not dramatic. It's not exciting. But oh, is it needed. And is it ever effective when we let it operate? Now we see in the last section a tremendous, I'm using Brother Bill's favorite adjective, or one of his favorites, tremendous outcome. Okay? Truly, that's an excellent adjective, Bill. I echo your use of the word. The epistle to Philemon is an illustration of how in the church as the new man, all social rank is put aside. The distinction of social rank among the believers has been nullified because the believers have been constituted with the all-inclusive Christ who is their life. So remember... In Colossians, Paul speaks of the new man constituted with Christ. The letter to Philemon is addressed to Philemon, his family, and to the church in Colossae in his house. And in Philemon, you have an illustration of the living of the one new man revealed in Colossians. And the key indicator is that all Social rank is put aside. Every aspect of division that has especially haunted American society since it was founded. It's incurable in that realm. The subject of the book of Philemon is an illustration of the believer's equal status in the new man. See, if I say status... And you say status, we're still one, right? <laughs> I'll still fellowship with you. <laughs> status, status, either, either, tomato or tomato. It's all set aside. The case of Onesimus and Philemon illustrates that in the new man, all the believers have an equal status. This is the reality. And this must be lived out. This epistle serves the special purpose of showing us the equality in the eternal life and divine love of all the members of the body of Christ. It's, it's, it's actually happening there. So no one has any consciousness of not being received. And so many scars that were inflicted from your human history are gradually washed away. You realize the society will never make it. But we're in another realm. We all have the same divine life, the same divine love, the same believing ability. We're all learning to live in Christ's inward parts, letting him live in our inward parts. And the issue of this is a sweet and pleasant church life where all the distinctions that have divided us are gone. 
Outwardly, the social statuses remain, but not here. Three, the equal status of the believers is a matter of love, which comes out of faith. In the new man, the believers love one another in faith. That's why I emphasized faith and love out of the organic union. Because of the divine birth and living by the divine life, all the believers in Christ have equal status in the new man. <clears throat> this is based on three facts. The A. Christ's death has abolished the ordinances of the different ways of life for the creation of the one new man. This he did on the cross. B. We have all been baptized into Christ and made one in him. Even Galatians 3.27 says, In Christ there is no this or that, no, no male or female. So maybe, sorry, some feminists from Wellesley will come in and say, hey, I like it here. There's no male. Well, there's no female either. <laughs> in Christ, okay, be very careful. In Christ, even this distinction has been removed. However, in the church, which is outwardly in the old creation, the created distinction has to remain or there will be chaos, right? And then little c, in the new man, Christ is all and in all. So as we live in the inward parts of Christ Jesus, and let him live in our inward parts, through our being in the organic union, living a life of faith and love, this is the outcome. Every believer is received, loved, and cared for without any preference because something radical has taken place intrinsically in our being. So in a very real sense, I am not a white American male. I am part of the new man constituted with Christ. I can't, we can't deny, we don't have to deny the outward physical facts. But there's been such a change gradually in our inner being that the Christ who is no respecter of persons, who loves everyone the same, is now in us and we are in him. And the focus of the love that is in him is his church. And now we can sense his love for the church and his love for the saints. And it becomes our love so we can really sing, Lord, thy dwelling place, O Lord, I love. For thee I would forsake myself and just learn to live in this way. Because this is organic, because it's of life, it can happen suddenly. We will determine the pace by which this happens by deciding how much we will allow the Lord to live in us. <clears throat> but even once we determine that, the Lord needs to grow in us 
So in the meantime, we bear one another in love. We're filled with compassion, kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiving one another as God has forgiven us. I just look to the Lord. This is a personal request that I can be around for a good many more years to see this kind of church life gradually developing here and there and everywhere. I just long to live such a church life with you all. This is living in the inward parts of Christ Jesus for the church life. Amen. Now we have about 22 minutes uh, for sharing. The sharing this morning was excellent. But it would really be good, I don't know how we work this out, if we could shorten the speaking a little to be about 90 seconds. Whether the piano will do this, I don't know. But this would give more time 